back to the scriptures are real. I'm your host, Lamar, and this is Carrie, my co-host. Hi. And regular host on other times. So, hey, we've, we've got a streak going on here. We, we've done uh, Hosea, Joel, and now we're doing Amos together. Yeah, yeah, it's just good, fun stuff. <laughs> Very good. So, um, we've been listening to some comments and, and some uh, people talking to us, and one of the things that was requested is people said, hey, at the front of the show, give us a little breakdown of what you're going to go over so we know what to expect. So, so let's, let's do that now. How about that? Yeah. Uh, we, and here in Amos, we're going to talk about, there's lots of different things we're going to hit, but what we plan to hit today, and we'll see what the conversation takes us, but let's talk today about the background of Amos, where he comes from, why he's an important prophet, why he makes it into this canon. Uh, what does it mean to have a prophet in apostasy? We'll talk about that specifically in Amos 3 and also in 8. Um, why do we have prophets? And and uh, and there are more than one prophet in this time period. So we're going to hit that. And then again at the end, uh, or throughout this, not just the end, but it does happen in, uh, in the end of the chapter, in chapter 8. Amos particularly makes a theme about taking care of the poor, and particularly he castigates Israel there for not taking care of the poor in need. Would you agree with that? Karen? Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's hit those. Let's uh, hit those, those will yeah. be our highlights. Who knows where else it takes us, but yeah. I am going to make a prediction that uh, as we talk about what he says about uh, not taking care of the poor, that uh, that will be some of the least popular things I will have ever said, uh, because we'll talk about things that I think uh, each of us will say, Oh, dang, that might be me. Well, you know what? That's exactly what I want, right? I mean, what I want. I think that's what we need right now, because I think that where where the world is, where where um, where our country, this country here, where we have other people outside the U.S. you know watching this, but I think we're in this same thing. I think we need to take these lessons. These lessons yeah. were given to us, and they're as applicable as we mentioned back in Hosea. People haven't changed. The, the our, our appetites and passions and all that. They're still the same. They haven't changed, even though we have technology. Technology does not change the human heart and what we do and what we don't uh, do. And I think these words are as applicable to us right now as they were back then, uh, thousands of years ago. And yep. I think if we don't listen to them, we're going to suffer the same fates. And at this point, where uh, where Hosea and Amos are, are preaching, it's not good. It's not good for Israel. And I'm afraid that we find ourselves in the same point. And I'm like, let's claw back from the brink, you know, yeah. best we can. And I think if we look at the kind of the background of Amos, I think we'll see how really applicable this is to our time. Um, so let, let's kind of set that stage for who Amos is. Uh, he's one of the first what we'll call writing prophets. And I think we've talked about this a little bit on some other uh, uh, episodes, but for the first bunch of Israel's history, you don't really have the writings of the prophets. You have stories about them, Elijah, Elisha, other prophets that, you know, anywhere from Joshua to um, to Amos, really. We, we've got stories about them, but a, a new tradition arises, and it's something that you see all throughout that part of the world. There's a kind of a change and a focus towards writing uh, and less oral-based. Uh, it's still very oral-based, but, but more written based as well. And it's right about that time that we get these writing prophets. And Amos is one of our earliest prophets that we have writings of, maybe may the earliest. There are some we don't know exactly when Joel is. We don't know exactly when Jonah is. Jonah's probably around this time period with Amos, although we we don't really have Joel or Jonah is not really a writing prophet. Uh, it's stories about Jonah. 
right? right. Uh, we don't have his writings as stories about Jonah. So Amos is right at the beginning of this tradition, uh, which is interesting because he's one of the least literate of the prophets, probably. Uh, I mean, we've got like Isaiah, who's hyper literate, uh, yeah, right. Jeremiah and Ezekiel are priests. So they're at least more educated than many and so on. Uh, Daniel is clearly very educated. And Amos is a herdsman, uh, right? He, most likely he couldn't read or write. It's it's unlikely. Uh, so someone is writing down what he says and giving it to us. But in any case, he's early, early on in this tradition. And he so he, he's probably overlaps towards the end of his ministry with the beginning of Hosea, maybe even Isaiah, probably Isaiah. There's a chance when Isaiah was really young that he, Amos was still prophesying. So it's somewhere in that time period. Well, um, you mentioned this from Joel. Joel, we don't really have any time markers. There's yeah. nothing really in Joel. And here in Amos, in, in the first verse, in chapter 1, he gives us three references to important yeah. things. He says, uh, in, um, in the days of Uzziah the king, and then the days of Jeroboam the son of, of Joash, uh, and then two years before the earthquake. So yeah. whomever did write it down at least gave us three markers to 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 pinpoint his time frame so we have a little bit about his time frame so anyway yeah we can we can date him pretty precisely and the interesting thing is uh, he's prophesying as you said during the reigns of uzziah and uh josiah or not josiah sorry uh jeroboam the second and these are the two like longest lasting and prosperous kings of both the northern and southern kingdom so uzziah's king of the southern kingdom right isaiah starts to prophesy in the last year of uzziah's reign to give us our little timeline there uh, and uh, Jeroboam's at that same time period. And they both reign for a long time. Their kingdoms are more prosperous than they've been in a long time during their reigns. And that's interesting because uh, that, that sets a stage that might seem somewhat familiar to us. Uh, things have been going really well. Everything is, is just clipping along in the kingdom and all is, is dandy. You could say all is well in Zion. And, uh, and then Amos comes along and says, whew, you guys have some problems and this is going to go real wrong. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> this is the best it's been in in like more than a century, uh, in a couple centuries. Well, you're nuts to come along and telling us that this is not going to last and that we have problems and so on. But it seems like much of the, the sins that he's going to accuse them of are related to their prosperity. Right. right. Uh, they've right. gotten caught up in how well things are going and forgotten what's really important and so on. And and so uh, they ignore him both because it seems like things are so good and he's saying it's not going to be good. And because he's telling them that they're uh, doing some things wrong uh, that are their favorite sins and they don't want to stop them. Right. So that that does feel eerily familiar to me as I think about our own culture. That, that's exactly where I was, and we just talked just before we hit uh, hit the go on this uh, on this one, and I was like, I really feel like we're just we're repeating these same kind of things again, and and again uh, taking care of the poor, and that's been a big thing in the man the, the years that I've grown up listening to to uh, General Conference, it's been a big thing increasing your your uh, your fast offerings and and taking care you know things that we've done to try to take care of the people in our in our areas of of stewardship, let's say, uh, you know, whether it's home teaching or ministering or, or, um, you know, just the different programs that we've had, there's been an emphasis like, Hey, we need to take care of the people around us. You can't leave the world behind, uh, in your prosperity. And that applies to us. The church has been blessed and uh, people in the church have been blessed as well with some material things. 
great, super, good for you. But let's not yeah. forget, you know, yeah. this is not our stuff. We're just taking care of it. So let's uh, let's bring along the poor and help everybody as well. So is that the theme you want to hit on first, or you want to do profits first? Well, let's hit the profits first because okay. in in uh, at the very end we're going to talk about um, in chapter seven, which is further on. Yeah, is when uh, he talks about laying the plumb line and then he talks about the poor, although he does talk about the poor. Anyway, yeah. uh, let's talk about the prophets first because at All this right. point in time, there's more than one prophet around there. I mean, we might, in, in, in our church, we might be used to seeing, hearing one prophet and then maybe the apostles. But at this yeah. time, there are prophets that are in different places and we have different writings and they're, they're prophesying concurrently and, um, and yeah. sometimes they know each other and sometimes they don't. Yeah, the problem is is twofold. One, we use the word <clears throat> we use the word differently than it's typically been used. We when we say prophet, we mean presiding high priest, and there's one at a time. Right. Um, and for most of history, when you use the word prophet, you mean someone who's inspired by God to say things. And so, I mean, in in that sense, the same way Moses said that he hoped all of us was is uh, would be a prophet. Uh, I hope you're a prophet in your family and in whatever right. your calling is and whatever else, right? And I hope I am as well. And and so on, prophets and prophetesses. Uh, so that's part of what's going on. And and second, uh, we're if there's some kind of a hierarchical structure, like we're living under uh, restoration, Melchizedek priesthood leadership, very organized hierarchical structure. Uh, if they have something like that, we can't see it in in the old testament we just can't see it so there are prophets all sorts of prophets running around i mean just think we've just finished a little while ago covering where you had lehi ezekiel jeremiah daniel all prophesying at the same time and some others we know there were others prophesying at the same time right and that's what it's like at this point uh you probably have at least jonah and and amos and soon you'll have also hosea and maybe joel and you have others as well right so uh yeah and that that causes a problem because it becomes difficult for people to be able to tell who's a real prophet and who's not. Uh, now, I hope we talk, we'll talk about this in a minute. I, I think we're actually in no less a difficult phase. It just has a different, different, it's a different way of hiding, I would say. So, yeah, that's great. We're going to get, and before we leave the, uh, the background section, um, I also wanted to just, um, to point out, um, that, well, now I can't point out what I was going to think about. I, Anyway, we were talking about the, the 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 time frame. Oh, I know what it was. When this the way Amos is laid out, it's almost like one continuous um, sermon, although it's not. And there's some parts in the end where he has a, 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 a Amos has an interaction with um, the priest of Bethel, but it, it, the first at least six chapters is almost written like one continuous thing. He tells him this, then he tells him this. Like first chapter, he talks about. Um, the, the transgressions of uh, of the Philistines and Syria and Tyre and Edom, and then he goes in the second chapter. He goes into Moab and and then yeah. he gets to Israel. So then it, and then it's a continuous sort of litany of offenses <laughs> against God. Yeah. It's basically it's almost how it is all the way up until about chapter seven eight when something else happens. But it's almost like this is one talk, one continuous. Yeah. And then he is a, so I, I'm I'm not saying it happened all in one day and he said the same thing, but it's just but it reads that way. It reads that way, like it's one yeah. continuous indictment, basically, yes. of, of what you've, uh, of what they've done, uh, all the way through, all the people around, uh, all the people around Israel, including Judah, and then to Israel. He, he lays out all the sins of all these people, and then Judah, and then all these things you've done, and then this the fourth. 
So anyway, I just wanted to point out the way this thing reads is almost like one particular one talk, and then later, and the, there's a couple other different things that happen in the end, but it's it's one continuous revelation sort of uh, yeah know, about it. So yeah. anyway, that's my thought on the background. Well, let's let's uh, jump in there. So I'd like to start in, in chapter two, if it's all right, which will kind yeah. of set the stage for chapter three. And we're gonna we'll come back in a minute to his accusing them about not taking care of the poor. Um, and as he finishes that in, in verse nine, he, after he's accusing them of all these things, he's telling them, well, why it's so ridiculous that he has to accuse them of these things because he has taken care of them. So they haven't taken care of the poor, but he has taken care of them. And he says, I destroyed the Amorite. And so these are people who were attacking them during the Exodus. And verse 10, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. So those are things that I've done for you. Now here, verse 11 and 12, it's just really interesting. One of the things he's done for them, he says, is I raised up of your sons for prophets and of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not even thus, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord? So he's, in his list of things he's done for them, he tells them, I've given you prophets. That that in and of itself should tell us how important it is to have prophets. And I'll tell you, I, I think daily at some point I'm saying a prayer, said, thank you that we have some Latter-day revelations and prophets. It is such a blessing that we often overlook. But in any case, he says, I've given you prophets, and now look what you've done, verse 12. But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink. So Nazarites aren't supposed to drink wine. So they've right. intentionally tried to make Nazarites not Nazarites. So Nazarites are, are people who've made special vows and, and then in turn are, are thought to be given special gifts by God. So mm -hmm. our two biggest examples, Samson and uh, Samuel. Samuel, the prophet, was a Nazarite, and it's part of why he was such an amazing prophet. All right. But so he says, you give wine to the prophets and then listen or to the Nazarites and then listen to this part and commanded the prophet saying, prophesy not. Right. I don't yeah, hear we don't saying. like what you're saying. So please <laughs> don't say it. Right. And I think that that is happening so much in our day. There's so many on social issues and all sorts of other things. But I think right now, special social issues, when we have inspired men who have been designated to receive revelation for us and they stand up and they tell us and it goes against what the world has told us we should think on these social issues. We say, Ooh, those guys are old and they don't know what they're talking about. And I can hardly wait till they're gone. And we get someone else who will get a revelation that it should really be the way the world tells us it should be. Right. Right. In other words, they're saying prophesy not president Oaks. Why did you say that? Don't right. say that anymore. Prophesy not. Right. That's exactly what people are doing. And uh, and it's on any number of things, but it's it's ironic. In fact, I've often said when I've, I'm talking about Joseph Smith and that he will say things about uh, sometimes I'm talking about papyri and interpretation of papyri, but we'll talk about other things. And he'll say things that go against what the normal world is saying. And people say, no, see, we can't accept him as a prophet because he didn't agree with the normal world. And I think how ironic, because that's exactly what a prophet is supposed to do. That's right. Things that go beyond what the normal world will tell, tell you. So, where you, tell so you where the, you're wrong, where you need to correct. Them. That's exactly right. Or something different, something we've never thought of before, because he's giving us revelation from someone whose thoughts and ways are higher than ours. Right. So it seems to me, and this is the phrase, it just came to me one time, and I think it's so accurate. We want to deprophetize a prophet before we will accept him as a prophet. Right. We just don't want to accept you if you're going to disagree with the world. So you have to stop being a prophet. Then we'll say, great. Now you're our prophet. Right. Or in other words, we'll say prophesy not. Right. That's a great that's a great insight. And this is, again, why I, I mean, even though I know some of these Hosea and uh, these Hosea and Amos and all these one chapters we've been talking about, 
are a little bit heavy. It's true. Um, but what are we doing? This is what are we doing that is so similar to this? Like we've said many times, how are we doing this? We are doing this in some way. How it, How is it that we are doing this? And so, yeah, it, this it, we need to take this to, to heart. How many things that we see in, in general conference are like, ah, I don't like that talk so much because yeah. You know, yeah, I like That's this exactly talk. Right. It made me sound good, but that talk I wasn't sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Or or this prophet said uh, you know, a few years ago, ten years ago, said this, and ah, I, we're beyond yeah. that now. Anyway, prophesy not. What a great thing. I just marked it right now, just in great big bold red in my uh, in my online scriptures. <laughs> so good. Prophesy not. Okay. And well, if we continue, good. oh sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. That's great. That's a great insight that that Again, that's a, a fine point on what I was talking about before. Is I think this is where we are. Yeah. In our in our history, the same as these people were in their history. They're prosperous, and they're going to take it on the chin here in a minute. Yeah. If we see him, he's going to continue to say, "Look, you should listen to me as the prophets." And as we get into to chapter three, he has this interesting series of things where he he's basically saying, "Look, when something is happening, usually there's a way to tell it's happening." So. Uh, a lion roars in the forest when he has no prey. No, if you hear a lion roaring, you know something's going on with him, right? Or if a, if a bird falls, um, you can guess, yeah, he was caught in a snare. Why else would the bird fall, right? So he's talking about there are ways to tell when something is happening. Uh, if Verse 6, a trumpet's blown and, and you shouldn't be afraid. No, because that's why you blow a trumpet, to tell you something's going on. And all of that leads to verse 7. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Now, I'm going to just change that translation just a, a, a teeny little bit. This word secret is the word sowed. And the word sowed is the one that is used uh, to talk about when, like, we often will translate it as a divine counsel or something like that. Uh, it's when God has a counsel and, and reveals. So it's not just like, Hey, I'm going to tell you a little secret, right? Uh, so, for example, uh, when Isaiah sees God in Isaiah chapter 6, that's a sowed. When Ezekiel sees God in Ezekiel chapter 1, that's a sowed. So, and, and those words are used for to describe those. If uh, we had the Hebrew of uh, 1 Nephi 1 where Lehi sees God, I think it would call it a sowed. So it's not just like a little thing. It's saying, I'm not going to do a big thing without really counseling with my prophets and letting them in a big way know of the big thing. Well, yeah, it's like telling them, I'm going to tell you my mind. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, so, and, and, and you see what he's doing here is he's saying, just like the trumpeter tells you trouble is coming, I'm sending a prophet to you to let you know the trouble that's coming. And again, note how ironic this is in that historical setting that we've given this is when everything is great so why in the world would a prophet tell us that we've got problems and god is saying well it's because you're about to not be great and it's my job to give someone else the job of telling you that it's not going to be great so don't ignore them just because everything is dandy right now and this and the and seminary students will recognize this uh this one this is a uh, I don't know if they do this anymore, but the scripture mastery, this is one of the scripture yeah. mastery. It's a slightly different thing, but kind of, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's why we need, why we need prophets and we listen to prophets and this is why we have prophets and uh, prophets tell us what's on the mind of God. What do we need to hear? And what are we doing right now? Are we, are we listening to general conference and, and, um, and 
and heeding those messages. I mean, we get them every six months and they, the, the themes change or not change, but different things are highlighted, let's say. And, um, and I, and I think, how are we doing that? Are we listening to what these prophets are saying? Just like you're saying before. So you're right. Yeah. Chapter, chapter two sets up chapter three. And this is where Amos says, Hey, the prophets are telling you, I'm a prophet. I'm telling you what it is. All these things are happening. Um, and this is why I, I'm telling you what's going to happen. And yeah. are you going to listen? And I hope some yep. people did listen. Now we know on the whole, uh, Israel as a whole did not listen and, yep. uh, and they paid the price. But hopefully some people did listen, and hopefully right now some people are listening, and we can we can uh, write our own ships at least. Yeah, agreed. Excellent. Now, okay, I know so you that's... wanted to talk about some stuff in in uh, with this kind of uh, duel yes. of prophet and false prophets, but maybe let's let's do <laughs> well, let's, like two verses there... that set us up to that. Okay. Or, yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or, no. No. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. Do, do that first, and then we're going to talk about some. Poor, we'll talk about the poor, but they're going to. Well, you want to talk about the poor, poor before we get to that? No. That. Let's let's finish off. We were kind of talking about the the apostles and the. Uh, yeah, I'm good either way. Apostasy, and then uh, and then let's hit the as a theme instead of just going through piece by piece. We'll hit them as a theme. So, okay. Um, yeah. So you if we go decided, to chapter five. Yeah. And and it it's only loosely related to the theme of a prophet, but I think it is related. I think it's important. All right. So if we were to go to chapter five uh, and again, he's telling them all sorts of destruction is coming before this and after this, but in the middle of it, he has these interesting, uh, this interesting thing. He says twice, verse four, for thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, seek ye me and ye shall live, but seek not Bethel. So Bethel is where they've set up uh, when Jeroboam the first, and I think he's drawing on this intentionally because you've got Jeroboam the second right now. Mm-hmm. Jeroboam the first started the kingdom. They, he broke off from Solomon's son Rehoboam, and mm-hmm. he set up these idols in Dan and Bethel, right? Mm-hmm. And he and Bethel changed means the house of God, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And it was where Jacob had had uh, an experience with God. Jacob had his sowed at yeah. Bethel, um, but now it's become an idolatry center, uh, and and Re- Jeroboam the first got rid of. Uh, priests, uh, the real priests and the real Levites and put in his own false priests and false Levites, right? So it, it touches on this theme, I think, intentionally. And interestingly, we know Jeroboam II, we don't know the ruins at Bethel are not so well preserved, but at Dan, and this is where Jeroboam I had set up the two golden calves, was at Dan and Bethel. At Dan, we know that Jeroboam II was actually a pretty good king in a lot of ways, but he builds that up in a big way. He, he expands the place where they had the altar for the golden calf and the altar where they had it. So I would guess he did at Bethel as well, that he's made this uh, a bigger center of idolatry. All right. So it's interesting that he says, seek ye me and ye shall live, but seek not Bethel nor into Gilgal. Now we don't know what was going at Gilgal. That's down by uh, Jericho, but uh, that must have been uh, become some kind of cultic center in Judah. So he's hitting both Israel and Judah. Uh, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity and Bethel shall come to naught. So you see what he's saying? Seek me, quit seeking the false priests, the false prophets, your false idols, because they're not going to last. And then he says again in verse six, seek ye the Lord and ye shall live. Lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it and there be none to quench it in Bethel. So he's saying, do this now, or I'm going to have to come down and destroy these areas, which were destroyed, by the way. So apparently they didn't all seek him that well. But that's that's I, I think it touches on this prophet theme, this idea of quit looking to the wrong sources and look to me. 
is it Amos that renames Bethel? Um, Bethel meaning house of God. And he, is, it, is it Amos who calls it Beth something else? It's like basically translates to the house of nothing. <laughs> something uh, like that. I don't remember. Sure. I'll have yeah. to look that up. I had heard that okay. somewhere else, but uh, look it up. Anyway, but so Bethel, who which which was a very holy place, you know, like you said, um, it, it was a well respected place, has now become um, defiled basically, and so he's saying, don't go to because with idols, with idols and and uh, the Canaanite uh, Baal worship, right? So right. Well, I mean, that was less at Bethel and Dan. I mean, there were times, but it's this kind of hybrid Jehovah worship that Jeroboam the first had set up. So it's it's this almost but not quite worshiping Jehovah, which is exactly, I think, more dangerous. And and I think the danger we're struggling with right now, like we feel pretty good because we are worshiping Jehovah, even though we're accepting all the ideas of the world at the same time. Which has the appearance of God, but denies the power thereof, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Okay. All right. So, yeah. Again, look out this for this in our day. What are we doing now that looks like this in our day? We might be looking like we're doing the right thing, but are we doing the right thing? You know, are yeah. we doing, are, is our heart in it like we talked about in Hosea? Is our heart in it? And let's, let's talk about some ways that maybe we do that that we may not think of that I think will help us understand even better the story with Amaziah that we're about to hit. Um, I think... And I've talked about this in a couple of episodes, but I think one of the great lessons we learn from the Old Testament is how easily we are swayed by our leaders. And you have good leaders and you do well, you have bad leaders and you you go immediately to doing bad. We see it in the Book of Mormon and we see it in the Old Testament again and again and again in, in almost a heart sickening way how quickly people turn. Now, we all recognize in the church, at least, we all recognize good leaders. We recognize, uh, you know, President Nelson and President Oaks, President Eyring, and so on. Those are good leaders, right? Those are people we should listen to. I think we often don't stop to to think about other leaders that we are choosing, right? So, and I'm not talking about, I mean, it happens to be the day after election day as we're recording this, and, yes. and I'm, but that's not what I'm talking about, although I think political leaders are also something we should really pay attention to and who we're voting for. But I'm thinking about who we what the thought leaders that we choose and we don't recognize that we're choosing them but we choose thought leaders or in other words people who will influence the way we think uh so for example uh the movies you watch mm-hmm. and if you're watching a lot of movies or a lot of shows you are choosing people who will influence just by the nature of the time you give them access to your brain it's influencing you have you stopped to think about who you're giving that that ability to and what their agenda is right because hollywood typically doesn't have that good of an agenda or radio city right the music that you listen to and so on and so on these things affect you i'm, I'm coming to believe more and more that i need to be more careful in the media that i'm choosing uh, because i've without thinking about it yielded up my brain to thought leaders that are actually not thought leaders i trust but they're influencing me nonetheless the, there are other sources right news what are your news sources? Uh, your your political, you know, and uh, philosoph- philosoph- uh, philosophers. We, I think, oh, we yeah. have political philosophers. Philosoph- I'm having a hard time saying that. Let me try again. <laughs> political philosophers. I, I, I was about to say falafels. Um, <laughs> uh, we have political philosophers. Um, I have to think. For example, I mean, I have uh, some kids, and I know lots of other youth and young adults who spend uh, really in a week. 50 hours, uh, maybe not quite 50 hours, but but more than 10 hours between 10 and 30 hours a week on like TikTok and things like this, Instagram. And they're just watching what feels like mindless stuff. 
But when you spend that much time, it's influencing you. And what kind of people are posting those things? And what kind of influence is it having? Uh, and so the thought leaders that we are listening to are prophets for us. We are choosing these prophets and many of the prophets we're choosing are false prophets, but we haven't recognized them as false prophets. And But they do influence us to turn to real prophets and say, prophesy not, because we've been so influenced by uh, all of the, these media inlets that have become false prophets to us without our even realizing that they've become false prophets. I'm convinced that I haven't done a very good job as a parent in helping my children recognize that some of their media habits have become false prophets for them. I agree. And we talk about this and I'm convicted myself as well, because, you know, we talk about idols. We're not worshiping a calf or this or that, or, you know, going to a grove of Astaroth. We're not doing that, but there are idols. We, we worship certain idols today. And when you look at Instagram or whatever, the people that are on Instagram who have big followings, what do they call them? Influencers. Yep. Influencers. And they are. They're, they are influencing. Yeah, yeah. They're pulling the one way. You know, so I heard Dr. Phil talk uh, recently. He said something like, you know, we, we've gone from being up here, you know, looking at face level to everybody looking down here. And so yeah. what's on your phone? I mean, if you're at a bus stop or you're, you know, wherever you are in a car waiting on a wherever you look down at that. And what do you what's what's coming in your mind? Is it? political talk is it a, um, yeah. a mindless it could be a mindless tiktok and maybe that's for fun and just goofing around and who knows yeah but what else is sneaking in there are you that's careful right. about that i mean i look at the stuff that's curated i do very little on instagram i really do i have it because occasional people will, will talk me on there but then it just goes through the reels and i'm like it's assembling all these things for me to look at who's in charge of assembling that for me and what yeah. am i yeah. So anyway. that's right. Yeah. And I, I, I don't want to be taken wrong. And I think you don't either that uh, you brought it up and it's reminded me I should be careful to say I'm not. not you, you made it clear. I haven't yet. There, we all need times to unwind. Right. There, at times you have to be mindless. We, we yeah. need that. You know, Joseph Smith talked about not having the bow strung too tight too all tightly, the time. Right. I, yeah. That's and and uh, Stephen uh, Covey will tell us to sharpen the saw. Right. Um, and so we all need some mindlessness and some fun. Uh, but with that, even with that, we have to be kind of careful, not kind of, we have to actually really be careful uh, that even the mindlessness often has uh, uh, some kind of underlying agenda. And and sometimes people don't even recognize the agenda that they're putting out there, right? That it's just, uh, this might just be a teenager or a young adult that's doing some funny things and people are watching it, but they're influenced by someone and it influence, they're passing that influence on, right? So we, we just need to be mindful of it because if we're not, then we fall prey to it. I agree. I'm a professional comedian. I mean, I, I perform for people all the time and I'm in kind of those crowds. Yeah. And what things have become commonplace? I mean, what used to be not commonplace, for instance, language, just for in language. Yeah. Language. I want to do a podcast yeah. one day um, with my friend who, who's a linguist. Anyway, uh, just uh, of, of things that are, are, are that we used to think is like, oh, that's really strong language. And now is a like regular commonplace. Oh, yeah. How many more themes? How many times we push, we lower that bar and we lower that bar and we lower that bar. And so, yeah, I, look, I, like I said, I'm a comedian and I, I, I perform for people who want just to have a good, clean laugh. I'm a clean comic and I play in clean places. 
typically speaking. And, and so I don't have any stuff in mind that I, that I wouldn't be afraid for to be on the podcast, but I'm around it all the time. And other people who aren't so clean, I'm just thinking how we push that bar down yeah, and, and how we let this slip. We're like, ah, oh, well, you know, ugh. yeah, I'm ready to be Victorian again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, I know that you can take it too far and you can be pharisaical about things. And I, I get it. And you're right. No, A bow kept, too tightly strung will soon lose its spring is what Joseph Smith said. Yeah. So you got to unstring that bow sometimes, let it relax. So, you know, I get it, but let's just be careful that we don't let the guard down while we're relaxing. Yeah. That we don't, that we don't completely, you know, go to sleep and, you know, open our back door up and just let everything in anyway. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and I would say when I was in my twenties, I wouldn't have made the statement, but at this point, as I'm an older guy, I would say, I would rather err on the side of uh, being too prudish than continually we keep going lower and lower and lower as our as our standard yeah i agree all right so again how are we doing this not what you know not if we're doing this we are doing that's this. right how are we doing this so yeah we we have false prophets in our lives you just have to identify what they are for you i thought the whole time i was reading this and you know getting ready for this i was reviewing this i kept thinking what are the prophets saying right now i need to go back and read general conference and of course we do we go back and read general conference and in our ward and you probably do the same one of your your uh, days, one of them, or every other week. Yeah, like Elders Quorum or Relief Society yeah, or something like that. We'll, yeah, We'll focus on a general conference talk. Man, take that seriously. I'm going to teach one this week, and uh, and I'm going to have to really bone up and think, how do I take this seriously? What do I do today, this week, this month that makes a difference in these kind of areas? So, look, I'm not preaching to anybody. I'm just, I'm preaching to me. This is for me. I'm uh, I need to be better at these things. All right. Well, that's that's good. So, good lessons for us to take from uh, from uh, from Amos. And before we we wrap up, we're uh, getting pretty long here. But before we wrap up, let's talk about Amos's attitude toward the poor. Oh, or did and, you want to do Amaziah? Or oh, oh yeah, no, yeah, I forgot about Amaziah. Is good. We can't miss that. That's in chapter seven. If you're following along at home, uh, whip over to chapter seven, and um, and this is a this is a good exchange. Yeah, so I think if we're going to talk about false prophets in our lives, so we can just cut that whole little bit right before this and just say, if we're going to talk about false prophets in our lives, uh, we've got this great story of Amaziah that that illustrates this that I, I think you were really ready to talk about, Lamar. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, this is a, this is good. Um, you were talking about false prophets and, and, how, and how we Israel started to get off track. There were groups of people and some prophets, particularly this person we run into here, there's a guy named Amaziah. So look at, let's look in verse 10. Yeah, chapter and, 7, verse 10. Chapter 7, verse 10. Yes, let's turn there. Verse 10, Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, the king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of thy house of Israel, and the land is not able to bear all his words. That's pretty big. That's a pretty big thing to level. He says to the, to the, the king, Hey, Ammon is saying these things, and the land is not able to bear all his words. He's saying yeah. some bad stuff about you and your people. For thus saith, uh, this is verse 11, for thus uh, Amos say, saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. So he says to the king, he's going to be saying by you, he's saying you're going to be slain by the sword. So look, king, you got to go after this guy. He's he's talking about you. Also, Amazon yeah. is saying to Amos, uh, oh, thou seer, go. This is a funny thing. The way he says this. O oh, seer, go thou flee away into the land of Judah, and there eat their bread and prophesy theirs. So we don't need you here. We got we got our own prophets. I'm the 
he, this is the priest uh, of Bethel, and he's saying, we don't need you here. You go, yeah. go prophesy to Judah and tell them they're dumb and they don't know what they're doing. But prophesy yeah. not again anymore of Bethel, for it is the king's chapel. Um, and there's a different or sanctuary. There's a, if you look at the, yeah. the, uh, the the sanctuary, this is the king's this is the king's um, uh, sanctuary, and uh, and this is what he set up. And you're you're telling him that um, that he's going to be captured and slain and so forth. So I it. think it, it's that thing we were just talking about. This Beth, he's built up Bethel, right? Jeroboam has made. Yeah. We know he did it, Dan, and it's this seems to be saying he did it at Bethel as well. He made this great big place, and now you're saying stuff. It kind of sounds like someone saying to you know president Nelson, go back to utah here in new york city we don't need this kind of stuff we're we know better than that you go be provincial back in your little provincial place and we'll be our avant-garde here in new york city and ignore you right yeah. uh, i just think it's funny the way he says oh go flee away yeah <laughs> flee in the land of judah he just shoes him away but yeah. then amos answers him back this is what i like um amos answers him in verse 14 then answered amos unto amaziah i was no prophet neither was i a prophet's son but I was an herdsman and gathered of sycamore fruit. So he, we have a talk. We talk about the priestly class. Some of these people had been prophets and sons of prophets. And in fact, there's a group called the Sons of the Prophets, right? Yeah. So they kind of have a professional class who've assumed under themselves the the priesthood and the and the being a prophet. Yeah. And he's like, hey, I'm not a prophet. I wasn't a prophet. I was a herdsman. I was over there gathering sycamore. Fruit. And I was called, and the Lord took me, this is verse 15, the Lord took me as, as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, go prophesy unto my people. His calling was not uh, an inherited calling. He wasn't part of a priestly class. He was a herdsman, as you mentioned at the beginning. And he was told by God, go prophesy unto my people of Israel. And then verse 16, now, that, now therefore hear the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, Pro prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore, the Lord... Therefore, thus saith the Lord, thy, ugh, now this is bad. So he's, he says, the Lord told me to prophesy. And because he's saying this to Amaziah and, and maybe even to the king himself, uh, I was called to prophesy. And here's what the, the Lord saith to you. He's going to answer Amaziah. Basically, like, because you are telling me to quit prophesying, right? Yeah, and note that, that word again, or that phrase again, thou sayest prophesy not. Right. So, yeah. It's that same phrase. You tell me not to prophesy. You want me to go to Israel? I'm going to tell you what the Lord says about you. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, thy wife shall be an harlot in the city, and thy sons and daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity, uh, captivity forth of his land. So <laughs> this is harsh. He, he's like, you want me to prophesy? I'm going to tell you what the prophecy is for you. Your wife's going to be raped in front of everybody. In, in the public square. Yeah. Your kids and are gonna surely be he's talking about what happens when Assyria comes, right? That's what happens. And yeah. your kids are going to die and and uh, and you're going to be carried off into a, a polluted land. In other words, a, a land of a non-believer. And your lands will be divided up and given away. Those promised land that was promised to you by God uh, and that Moses took you to, the promised land is going to be taken away from you and given from this time forth. That is a harsh prophecy and yeah. an answer back to Amaziah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It really is. But the, again, this is that that issue of what happens when we listen to these false prophets. It it is what it's a big part of what brought about the destruction of Israel, and that's something that's worth our remembering 
that uh, if we don't want to follow in our ancestors' footsteps, we better identify these false prophets and start, well, we could put it this way. We better let God prevail more in our lives than anything else, or we better uh, quit getting most of our information from social and other media and make more time for Christ. Those are some ways that the prophet has said this same thing in the recent past. All right. Well, there you go. That's what we can do this today, this week, this month. We can return to the scriptures, read what we have, read your general conference uh, talks, find out what the Lord is looking for this week or this year, this last six months. What do we need to be focusing on? What do we need to focus on? What do we need to get out of our life or get into our life that will, will keep this from happening to us? So, yeah, I know that's harsh stuff. It's pretty hard to hear, but um, we need to hear that because that is coming. Don't think that just because you're a strong nation and you're military and we have all these great things, destruction comes no matter what. The, the Israel at this time is very powerful. They think they're very strong. They've got mm-hmm. armies. They've got they've got uh, means to defend themselves. It's not it's nothing uh, compared to what's going to come. No. So, very good. All right, more gloom and doom. Gosh, Gary. We're <laughs> well, there's a happy message at the end, but well, the happy message. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. He does it. And he does say something you're going to get into chapter nine, where he says, but it's not cast off forever. Things are going to happen, but let's get to that. Um, uh, Let's spend a little time talking about the poor, shall we? Yeah. Or did Um, you want to do chapter nine first? Well, you know, I don't know. This is kind of our new format. They're trying to get to do some bullet points and keep in a theme, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm just leading this all over the place. Uh, Yeah. Well, we don't have to keep themes. I mean, we we said what we're going to talk about. We didn't say the order we'd talk about it in. I don't care. (laughs) That's right. Um, I guess we'll bring up one more thing uh, that has to do with the prophetic uh, calling and, and about hearing prophets, because this is what's going to happen. So um, we were just talking about what happens uh, about this. And we're going to go to chapter nine, or excuse me, chapter eight. And uh, in verse 11, oh, yeah. Behold, the day shall come. This is what happens when you say, Prophesy not. If you say, if you say Prophesy not, and these things happen, behold, the day has come, this saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst of water, but of hearing of the words of God. This is apostasy. It does happen, and it has multiple fulfillments. And uh, verse 12, and they shall wander from sea to sea and north to the east. And shall run to and fro and seek the word of God, of seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. So, how is this fulfilled, Carrie? Uh, well, I think, as, as you said, uh, lots of ways. Uh, th- th- there's the great apostasy. There's no doubt of that. But uh, we've got various phases of apostasy. Israel's, I think, is experiencing it uh, right now. They they do have some prophets that are warning them. But they're not listening to them, so they're starving. It's kind of this idea that you can be in the midst of a bunch of food and and starve to death. I've seen some picky eaters do that, right? But anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, they're going to experience, and as soon as they're scattered, they're really going to experience this, right? They're within a generation of no prophets because they've been scattered. Uh, we're going to see it happen with Judah, uh, and we know that for several hundred years before the coming of Christ, there are no prophets. Uh, Christ reinstates it, and then apostasy, right? Right, and you said right now, you said the right now, and when you were, when you said right now, you're referring to the people this time at this period, right? Yeah, I was talking okay. about Amos. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. So Amos, and and we have basically, so we have the writings of the prophets that run up to about 500 or mm-hmm. so, and then after that, for about 500 BC to about the time of Christ, there aren't any prophets. 
Yeah. Is that a famine, a famine of the hearing of the word of God? It is. Now there is some, you know, there are some people there that still uh, adhere to the, to that and are seeking righteousness, but there's a big famine. And then of course, you know, then we have about a hundred years where Christ is on the earth and the apostles. And then again, we have a big drop off. I mean, there are some Christian principles that survive and, and churches that survive. And I'm sure there's good people all along this time, but this is what it's talking about. Now we, in the church, we have to talk about this being the great apostasy that happens after Rome, uh, sacks, uh, um, uh, um, Jerusalem. And we hear that, you know, and, and the, and the prophets and the apostles are killed, but this has multiple, multiple fulfillments. And one is going to happen right here at the end of Amos or end of Amos's reign or not reign, but in the, the, these, the, the writings of the prophets, they're going to have 500 years of no more prophets. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least not, at least not ones that we have. Now there might be some somewhere that we don't have, but as far as Israel, Northern kingdom, Southern kingdom, we really don't have any prophets' writings. Yeah, no, you're right. You know, as you're talking, I'm just thinking, and this this may seem tangential, but to me, this is pretty real and pretty important, and we really need to think about it. Uh, in a way, in our own day right now, we're experiencing this, and it's not that um, we don't have prophets. We do, and we have the ability to feel the Spirit. Last time we talked about Joel uh, last week and, and you know, the idea that all your young men and young women can dream dreams and, and see visions and, and prophesy. And yet uh, the world around us denies revelation and prophecy, and so that means that there are a whole lot of people who don't experience it because they don't want to. But I think there's another thing going on right now that, that to me at least is pretty real, and that's the the really um, epidemic and maybe even pandemic of uh, of depression and anxiety. And uh, most people who are experiencing depression really struggle feeling the spirit. And I've talked about that uh, before a little bit, I think, and and some of my friends like uh, Robert Millet, who uh, went as a stake president and dean of religious education, was struggling with feeling the spirit when suddenly depression hit him. And he recognized later that he was and he was being guided, but he couldn't recognize it at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, the, those who are struggling with depression and anxiety often struggle with feeling the spirit. And then uh, often we help them by giving them medication that numbs your your senses in some ways and i think that the medication makes it difficult to feel the spirit or to have revelation as i talking about feeling the spirit i mean to have personal revelation now i i really don't want to be taken wrong i am not suggesting everyone get off their medication or anything because i that actually can be incredibly disastrous just jumping on medication whatever else right? right uh and 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 it serves its place and you should consult with physicians and do what's right but i know like my wife and i right now are trying to find um, natural products to help with, uh, uh, you know, like, so we have some family members who we know they just don't produce serotonin the way that they should. So we're mm -hmm. trying to find some natural products to be able to do that because we're worried about the effects of, you know, medication helps, but you have the spiritual collateral damage of having a famine of feeling the spirit and getting personal revelation often because of that. So again, I'm not saying don't take medication, please don't take me wrong, but I'm saying be aware of some of the side effects of depression and anxiety and of some of the ways that we treat depression and anxiety, um, because if we're not aware of it, we can't do anything about it. I think it is creating at least a, 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 for many people 
this famine of hearing the, the word of the Lord in their own lives on that very personal level. And we need to, to be conscious of that. And I don't know what the answer is. I really, really don't. Um, but for every person, we better be working on finding out the answer for our loved ones that are, are dealing with this. I agree. And sometimes you just got to push through it. Sometimes you're going to have a hard time, uh, you know, yeah. uh, in business or in life or whatever, you're going to have a hard time. You're like, ah, oh, this is just not fun. And, and there are people though, who are losing their testimony because they go for like a year or two without having personal revelation. We know. I mean, if, if you're not feeding your testimony at withers, well, you may be doing, taking the steps to feed it, but since you're not recognizing the spirit, it starts to wither. Right. And so that's the time to look back at it. Hopefully you've kept a journal and you can look back and say, I have felt the spirit. I'm going to persevere through this until I feel the spirit again. Uh, I, I had one student who said, okay, I'm, I'm dealing with depression and it's hard for me to, to recognize the spirit. So I pray that others will be inspired for me. And that then I recognize when they're receiving inspiration. And she says, that's worked for her. I mean, there are a bunch of different ways to do this, to persevere, as you're saying, um, because the, the testimonies wither when we have a famine of the word. And these situations can be one of the things that can lead to a famine of the word. And it's a, it's a real and devastating thing. And I'm not saying this in an accusatory way. Uh, I have lots of loved ones who uh, are struggling in this way, and it's a real thing for the best of people. I agree. And it is really epidemic. You, you're right. I mean, the amount of young people that are that are suffering from anxiety and overstressed and whatever, it, I don't know exactly what's causing it all. Yeah. Maybe this is part of our our, our pestilence that we have now um, in, in, in some way. It's something we have to deal with, but it is. And, and one of the anecdotes, ane not anecdotes, anecdotes that you were talking about, it really is. I've heard all kinds of motivational speakers talk about it. And of course, President Eyring talked about it. And President Eyring said that he was told to kept a journal, uh, told to keep a journal of the way that God has blessed his blessed him in yes. his life. And I've said this to to a lot of people, uh, keeping a journal. And uh, I'm I don't I'm not a, a everyday journal writer, but I do write try to write several times a week, a month, whatever. And I write down things, and um, I try to do that too. I, I think about this about like what. Is, what has what how can i see the hand of the lord in his, in, that's mm -hmm. what Iron says. and so write down some of the good things not just about all oh, this bad thing happened but what good things can you see that happened or what what blessing did you see that happened to you or your family or whatever that made a difference and i've said that to other people that, that were struggling with that i'm like start a journal start writing down some things yeah. and it could be good and bad but focus on some good things that you can see because one of the biggest things i have with uh, especially with the youth when i dealt with the youth is trying to point out when the spirit is present because a lot of times we don't recognize it until yep. it's long gone and then you don't recognize what it feels like but then sometimes you'll be sitting in church and i'll be thinking that good feeling right now that part where the truth just kind of just seems to resonate like a nice clear tone or whatever that's the spirit yeah. those things those things are good and recognizing the spirit in our life is one of the hardest things to do on a consistent basis and journals do help with that so Yep. Anyway, I'd say another thing is to focus on Christ. Well, Christ for is sure. the answer. Yeah, that is. But true, so right? no, I I was agreeing with what you said, but right, I also wanted to say this. So, okay, that's right. But always bring it back to that. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, uh, hopefully that's right. helpful to somebody. Um, let's let's at least hit the the theme that that um, Amos crosses several times in, here in in this uh, in his book. Um, that is taking care of the poor. And it starts yeah. off early in chapter four, right? 
Well, even in chapter two, I, I want to hit on some some oh, key yeah, verses yeah. in chapter two. So, chapter one, uh, and I'll I'll maybe find some other way to deal with that. But we, you've got all these accusations against other nations. But when he gets to accusing Judah, we get to ver- chapter two. This uh, verse four is when he finally gets to Judah. So he's in Moab and and uh, the Philistines and and Edom and so on before this. Uh, but he gets to Judah in verse four, and he says. Um, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept their commandments and their lies caused them to err after the which their fathers have walked. Uh, But I'm going to send fire upon them. And then he's going to get into some specific ways, but it's as he talks about Israel with Israel in verse six for three transgressions for four, will I punish them or I will turn not turn away the punishment thereof because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. They that panned after the dust of the earth and the head of the poor and turned aside the way of the meek and the man and his father will go into the same maid to, to profane my holy name. So, okay, that, that, that last thing, that's a different thing. Law of Moses, that, that's also bad that we're, uh, you know, dads and sons are having sex with the same person. But most of what he's talking about is you're not taking care of the poor. And I'll tell you that this is one of the most haunting lines for me. Verse six, it comes to me again and again and again, this idea, they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. Now, I mean, maybe that means that there are some degree of there are people who uh, went into debt for something and as a re- and then they couldn't pay their debt. And so then they go into servitude and they can be sold for silver or maybe they're sold for a pair of shoes. But I think that the silver may be something along those lines. But I think what he's talking about with the pair of shoes, because we're going to see him again and again and again talking about there are different ways that have been set up that you're supposed to take care of the poor and you're not doing it. Uh, instead, you're accepting bribes, you're keeping the things for yourselves and so on and so on. So I'd say Amos's biggest complaint is we're just not doing those things that we're supposed to to take care of the poor. And so when I think of that in selling the poor for a pair of shoes, what I think he's saying is uh, you had enough shoes and you had money you could have given to the poor, but instead you bought a pair of shoes. And I'll tell you, I'm I've done that. I, I have more shoes than I actually need. I have more pants than I need. I have more shirts than I need. And I could have used that money to help the poor. I, I mean, I am convicted as I read this. This Now, that doesn't mean, of course, you know, my wife keeps telling me, well, but yeah, you should have like some shoes that make you look professional rather than always wearing right. scuffed up shoes with holes in them or whatever. Right. So I'm not saying uh, you can't have more than one pair of shoes or anything like that. But I hope that this line comes to us again and again and again, because I think we're pretty guilty of it. That that in a prosperous land like they were experiencing their prosperity and we're experiencing ours. Yeah, we have inflation right now, but still compared to to a lot we're we have a lot of prosperity and it's pretty easy to go and use that money on all sorts of unimportant things, knowing that there are people who really could use our help. And yet we're diverting our resources these other ways. Now, you're going to have to find that's a fine line and you're going to have to get some direction from God exactly how to do it. But I I would guess that very few of us are on the right side of that fine line. Yeah, what um, I've heard a a couple. I can't remember what uh, prophet was. um, President Benson, President Hinckley that said, increase your your uh, fast offerings tenfold. And that might Mm. be more than. Um, that m- might be more people that said that, but I remember that hearing that at least like, increase your fast offerings tenfold. That's quite a bit. Um, yeah. I mean, we would think so, but 
I don't know what we're giving for that, but the, the point is, is if you can give that, we can probably find some more to help the poor. And, yeah. and, and it doesn't just mean just a handout. I don't mean just fast. Ones. That's one way you can do it. There's other ways to help out people. What are you doing to, to improve their lives and, and help them to get above that kind of thing? So anyway, again, that, that's, that's not an easy fix. It's not no. an easy and, and that's not going to be popular for people to think, okay, maybe I'm spending my money on stuff that I felt was necessary, but it's not. And I should have been spending it on the, uh, on the poor, uh, or as you said, it can be on time or getting food for them or whatever else. Um, that, that, that hurts enough. It's not going to be popular, but I hope that everyone listening can take the time to deal with that pain a little bit. That, that introspective pain, right? There's real pain mm -hmm. from looking into the mirror and saying, huh, what can I do differently? Because if not, we haven't really listened to Amos. If we're not giving this some real careful thought, we haven't been listening to Amos. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I hadn't I hadn't thought of that verse there particularly about being, you know, uh, about buying a pair of shoes instead of helping the poor. But, um, make a note. Something note I'm going to make. I mean, I have talked. I'm. It's obviously clear in, in chapter four. In fact, let's do that right now. Having yeah. gone with that one there, that's in chapter. Um, that's in chapter two where we just were. Yeah, verse six. Verse six. But then chapter four, and and we're going to talk about this a couple of times. But this right here in um, is it chapter four? Yeah, chapter verse four. one. Yeah, verse one. Yeah, right there. Uh, mountains, Samaria. The okay. So here these were. Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan. Yeah, so basically he's calling them stupid cows. <laughs> cows, that's right. Kind is a cow. Yeah. So here's sometimes hey, we miss stupid some of the cows. Fun. Listen to this. Yeah, we miss some some really funny things when when they call uh sometimes they name a, a king whatever. It's like king king pick a fight kind of thing. Yeah. I mean they yeah. they name people so and we miss that some of that language. It's really funny. But <laughs> hear this, you you cows of Bashan that are in the mountain of Samaria, which oppress yeah. the poor and crush the needy. Oppress the poor and crush the needy. Yeah. And note uh, what the next thing is. And they say to their masters, bring and let us drink. Right. So they're spending their, what they have on entertainment, basically food and entertainment um, rather than taking care of the poor. Ah, that's uh, stupid that's cows. Yeah. But he doesn't just say in a friend, he says crush the needy. And that yeah. reminds me, we, we talked about this earlier. Um, Isaiah says, uh, talks about this, that you grind the face of the poor. Yeah. I mean, these are really strong images. How are we doing that? I mean, and we're not actually physically going on the street and like, take that poor guy. Yeah. How are we doing that metaphorically? How are we grinding the face of them, crushing the needy? These yeah. are big, big, broad images that we're, that he's painting so yeah and i'm sure there are some people that he's talking to who are oppressing them by not uh paying them fairly and by um uh you know taking advantage of them in this way or that way but i think the the way most of the people who amos is accusing are doing this is by just not giving what they should and amos and thus god equates that with crushing them or oppressing them when you don't help them to your ability you're crushing and oppressing. I don't like to think of myself as an oppressor. I, I really don't want to be an oppressor. I don't, but but I read this stuff and I have to say, dang, I, I might be a bit of an oppressor here because right. I'm not helping the way I should. Yeah, again, it's not if it's how we are doing these things or how are we doing that. So crush the prayer. 
And then, um, so let's move over to chapter five on the same kind of thing. And uh, chapter five, here's some other really strong language that the, that yeah. uh, Amos uses in, in the Lord. Well, in fact, this is in chapter five, verse 21. This is what the Lord says. Um, this is part of his, you know, thing that he's, the litany of things he's driving against Egypt. This is, You mentioned this in, in Hosea, like you hope you never hear the Lord say, you're not my people. Um, and this one here, verse 21, I hate, I, de- I hate, I despise your feast days and I will not smell your solemn assemblies. And those are feast days that God himself appointed. Yeah, th- these right? are, well, these are, yeah, these are like sacrifices. Passover, yeah, th- these kinds of things, yeah. Yeah, these are, these are um, uh, sacred, supposed to be sacred days that the yeah. Lord appointed through the law of Moses. And he says, I hate and I despise your feast days. Ow, yeah. ow, ow, ow. That really hurts. I, and I will not smell your solemn assembly. And smell, he's mean, he talks about the, um, let the sweet savor of your incense come up to me. You know, the, yeah, the and your sacrifices. Yeah. Earlier in, in the, the scriptures, he talks about that. He will smell your sacrifices. And this is like, I will not smell your solemn assembly. In other words, I don't want, I don't want any of your feast days. I don't want any of your, your, if you're not going to do it with the right attitude, you know, uh, thought ye to offer me burnt offerings, your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beast. So that is, that's some more strong language. I yeah. using the word hate, despise. Kyle. So in, in parlance for our day, he has said, I cannot stand your temple attendance. I can't take your going to sacrament meeting. I can't take the way you're fulfilling your callings and you're partaking of the sacrament. I am sick to death of it. Right. And you're like, what? Yeah. That's what? what I'm supposed to do. I'm doing these things. Yeah. Right. But look at look at what he says. Oh, sorry. You, you no, 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 no. Finish off. No, finish off. Look at what he says. He continues, verse twenty three. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs. And these are songs that are the hymns, right? These hymns. are the psalms hymns. that yeah. we've we've talked about and that they're supposed to be singing. And the melody of thy vials, so the instruments they do. So this would be, I'm sick of your hymns that you sing in sacrament meeting and that stupid organ that you play there, right? Um, and then he says in verse twenty four. But so this is what he wants. I'm tired of those things because this is what I really want. But let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. So I, I, I believe I've talked about this in other episodes, but it's important to understand judgment means making things right. And 90 percent of the time when the prophets use it, it means making things right as in there are people among you who are disadvantaged, who are, are not being taken care of. And that's not right. They need to be taken care of and not be disadvantaged like everyone else. And so I, I think that's what he's saying. Let judgment, in other words, taking care of the poor, and we can, we'll can we look elsewhere, Amos uses it this way, let taking care of the needy run down as waters. And this idea of righteousness is often tied into this as well, the way you treat others as a mighty stream. And in fact, he, he says this even earlier. If we were to go uh, earlier in the chapter, chapter 5, um, let's go to... Uh, but let's start in verse nine. Uh, this is the, the so the end of verse eight. The Lord Wait, is his name. Chapter? Or we're still in chapter five. Okay, we're just going right. a few verses earlier. Um, so the end of verse eight, the Lord is his name. He, he that strengtheneth the spoiled against the strong. So that the spoiled shall come against the fortress. So do you see what he's saying? I'm going to take those who aren't, who are disadvantaged, who are, people are taking advantage of, 
and I'm going to make them strong. Verse 11, uh, or sorry, 10. They hate him that rebuketh in the gate, and they abhor him that speaketh uprightly. So the gate is where all sorts of, of business was supposed to happen. But the most common bit of business that happens there is, so Israel is supposed to bring tithes and offerings, and specifically every three years there's this much, and then there are festivals where you bring stuff in all sorts of ways, that they bring tithes to the rulers of cities, and there's always a storehouse, and we find this archaeologically, there's a storehouse right in behind the gate where they're supposed to store these things, and then the poor and the needy come to the gate, and they lay out their case. I'm in this kind of like someone who needs fast offerings would come to a bishop. Here's my need. Here's my problem. Here's what's going on, and the leaders of the cities are supposed to draw from the storehouse and give to them. The problem is that they're often accepting the offerings, and then they keep the offerings rather than giving to the poor. And so when he's talking about you, you, you rebuke in the gate and a poor him that speaketh uprightly, they don't like people who are saying to give to the poor. Look at verse 11. For as much, therefore, as your treading is upon the poor, and you take from him burdens of wheat. So you see what he's saying? You're supposed to give him wheat right. to carry. You're taking it from him instead. You're not taking care of the poor. And you've built houses of hewn stone, right? And then he's going to say, you're not going to live in the houses. You're not going to drink the wine that you're doing and so on. And verse 12, they're taking bribes and they turn aside the poor and the gate from their right. So the poor are coming to ask for this food. That's their right, but they're not getting it uh, and so on. So you see, again, what he's talking about is you're not rendering judgment there in the gate the way you're supposed to. You're not taking care of the poor. And that's why all this bad stuff is going to happen. So if we continue verse 14, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts shall be with you as you have spoken, hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. So again, primarily his primary thing, there are all sorts of things, but his primary thing is you're not taking care of the poor uh, the way you're supposed to. I set up a system and you're not doing this system. Instead, you're you're making yourself wealthy uh, instead of following the system and taking care of people the way you need to. And as a result, you're going to lose your houses. I hate your temple attendance or whatever else, right? And, and I don't think he really means I hate that. I hate nah. that you're doing that, but your heart's not fully right because you're not taking care of the poor. So it's one thing to approach God and it's another to approach God while you're also approaching each other, right? We have this, this covenant we've talked about before. There's a vertical element where we, we, we need to love God, but we also have this horizontal element. We need to love each other. And if you're not loving each other and you're not taking care of each other, then you're pretty limited in your ability to approach God vertically. Uh, your vertical is somewhat dependent upon your horizontal. Um, and, <laughs> and that's what they're not uh, doing well. And I suspect that mo many of us focus more on going to the temple, reading our scriptures, fulfilling our calling, and that vertical element, we focus more on that than the horizontal element of let's get out and take care of each other. They both have to be in play. I agree. Um, there's not much I can add to that. It, it, we've, you know, that's why I, I really thought an important theme of, of Amos here is to take care of the poor. He mentions it over and over and over. And uh, yeah, let ourselves be warned. By that. Yeah, and and notice how and if we want to end on the happy note, I mean, there's all sorts of good yeah, stuff let's in end nine on the happy and so note. on. We've done so much gloom and doom and yeah, ugh. yeah. But uh, but I, I think we were just touching on it there in in chapter five. So you can read more of this in nine and and so on. But um, 
if we look at chapter five, this is the one where he said, seek me and you shall live. And we read that he said that twice, right? And seek him instead of these false gods. But we also saw just now, we'll go back to verse 15, hate the evil, love the good and establish judgment in the gate. And then if you do that, it may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Israel, right? So that's that's the message of hope. If you'll get this right, I'm here ready. I'm I'm ready to bless you. I'm ready to take care of you. Uh, just just get this right, and we're good. And I'll be there for you. Right. There's always a message of hope. You're even if you do the worst thing, you're never cast off forever. So there's room to repent. There's time to repent. So let's do that. Let's do what we yeah. can to uh, make ourselves right. So think about that as you're doing some your your. We just passed fast Sunday, you know, this month, but. Um, what can we do in our wards and our stakes to to build Zion up and to help the poor and and the needy and and what can you do in your other circles here just to help that you know lift up the lift up the well how's the saying go to lift up the uh, the arms of the yeah the hands that hang down the hands that hang down that's there's yeah. yeah so let's do that let's look for opportunities to serve and to be better at those kind of things and the Lord will will turn it we may be spared there you go yeah. all right. Uh, thanks again, Carrie. We've made a, a nice, good, long hour out of this one. Uh, so that's good. I hope you got something out of Amos, and I hope you can share this with someone who can uh, can help out. They're not um, all gloom and doom. We have some great spots of, of hot, of um, of uh, of heart, and of um, like we talked about in uh, in uh, Hosea, that there are some bright spots. But let's look for those things, and let's look for ways we can improve our own lives, and uh, those are those of those around us almost stumble over all those words <laughs> well thanks uh, for joining carrie and uh, good to see you and uh, hope you can uh, meet again soon all right thank you all right talk to you soon